Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you guys get to hear from Leah Garvin, and I'm excited for you to listen to Leah's story, but also her expertise, specifically around a book she wrote called Unstuck, which I think a lot of us can relate to. So let's just welcome Leah to the show. Welcome, Leah. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on. So excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just to give the audience a little bit of context, because they don't know you like I do, tell us about your work as a consultant. Yeah. So I am an organizational effectiveness consultant, and that essentially means I help business leaders, founders, entrepreneurs with small teams build better teams. And I work with folks in bigger companies, corporate clients around things like manager development, increasing employee engagement, retaining women talent. So I partner with teams around doing things like workshops, focus groups, um, group coaching to really improve the experience in the workplace. And then for small businesses and entrepreneurs and founders, I work with them to map out really their team operations, like how to get work done in their company so that they can scale and grow. And the second part actually came as, you know, I worked in team operations in big tech for about a decade around how to help people get their work done more effectively, how to make work easier. And for a lot of the time, it felt like this kind of work was either behind the scenes or, you know, something that I always wanted to do more and make it bigger. And I always kind of was reframing it. And I brought in all my focus on teams and inclusion. 
And to be able to really re-energize that skill set has been really exciting as an entrepreneur because instead of something that I downplay, it's like, actually, this is kind of my zone of genius around helping teams get their work done effectively. And for a small business or founder or entrepreneur who doesn't have any of that skill set potentially or hadn't worked in that setting of what kind of processes do teams need to scale, it can really be transformational for business. So. Sure. It's been awesome both to be doing that work and kind of re-celebrating this, this skill set that I have. What timing, too. I mean, as companies are trying to understand how to bring a workforce back into a physical building, how to get people to communicate with one another when they're in these disparate places, how to get people to build sort of cohesion when they don't have that water cooler anymore for many of them, or they're resisting going back because they like the life they built post-COVID and during COVID. So your timing is sort of impeccable. Yeah. Well, and like you say, all these new issues are coming to the surface. So we either have a pre-COVID, post-COVID, or many folks entering the workforce, they've never been in an office before. So you have multi-generations, everybody wrestling with a lack of engagement, I think, across the board. And so to really partner with teams and managers and leaders on how do we make sure people feel supported and still ensure that they have the systems in place to operate at, at you know their most effectiveness and efficiency levels, there's there's got to be a balance. And yeah. we're in a moment where no matter what before looked like, we all want more out of our employer and our team. And we want to have you know, flexibility, a greater sense of purpose. So that's something I really work with business leaders and teams around of how to create more of that connection to our work, because then it creates more motivation. You just said they want more out of their team and out of their work. Ultimately, they want more out of their life. Yes. Well, let's get into who these companies are, because then people really understand. I mean, you come from, you said big tech, but you come from the Googles of the world. So tell us a little bit about that background, because you're bringing all that expertise to these people who wouldn't have had access to big money and big resources and tools around team building. And then then I'll go back to what I was yammering on about a second ago. (laughs) No, I love it. So yeah, I worked at Microsoft, Apple, Google. And, you know, as a non-engineer, I dealt with years of imposter feelings of feeling, well, how do I add value? Am I, should I go back and get a computer science degree? You know, I, I don't, should I get a business degree, whatever. And, and I think in wrestling with this feeling of, where do I fit in, where I knew I, I had skills and where I fit was really focusing on people, building relationships and observing people in their work and seeing, well, I can't code or whatever they're doing, but I see when they're getting stuck or when people aren't talking to each other or when priorities aren't clear. And I think this absence of the the technical skill allowed me to really lean into these interpersonal skills that I started to weave into all the work that I was doing, figuring out, well, what processes are needed to, to build more connection from an interpersonal level? But this work wasn't HR. And I think mm. that was something that was really unique about it because it's not about like policies and personnel issues. It's like, how do we optimize how work gets done? So it was really from a programmatic standpoint, really from a looking at, you know, well, here's the timelines, here's the different players involved, here's, you know, the tools we need to use, the reporting we have to do to make sure everyone's on the same page. And then how do I make all that stuff come together a lot more easily? And that's really what I'm bringing now to 
to entrepreneurs and small businesses is, hey, these were the kinds of issues that slow people down in a larger environment. When we don't have clear decision-making processes, when we have too many priorities, when we are being excluded from conversation, we don't have the information we need to really do our jobs. And so observing that kind of thing time and again and figuring out, well, what are what are lightweight processes? What are easy ways to bring this to the surface? I saw how effectively it worked in large companies and in small companies, it can change and transform a company overnight. Like that's what's so exciting about doing this kind of work for a business that has maybe five or 10 employees. You get everybody on board around, you know, here's our values, here's how we make decisions, here's how we wanna empower folks to step up as owners and leaders you start seeing that change in that company immediately mm-hmm. and that lasts. So it's been really, really fun to bring these strategies around effective teams from from big environments to smaller companies and just, you know, see see how quickly things change. Well, and with smaller companies, you know, myself included, yeah. you're working with, in my case, and I think in the case of many small teams, you're working with a lot of consultants. You're looking with a lot of contracted work and they have other clients, they have Mm -hmm. other things going on. So making sure that you're all on the same page, making sure that they share the vision for that hour that you have them, that five hours that you have them, how much ever time that you have them in a given week becomes even more critical because you're one of many things going on in their world. So the work that you're bringing to the founder, to the entrepreneur becomes really important. They're used to working in these silos. Like we work in our own little bubbles. And I often think, well, everybody knows what's going on because it happened in my head. So surely, (laughs) you know, somehow you got this information and they didn't. didn't. We didn't tell them. Exactly. And so that's what my main program is for entrepreneurs and founders is the team operations playbook. Because I sit down with someone and I say, well, how do you want your team to operate across these six different dimensions, onboarding, decision-making, priorities, you know, career development? And how do we want to make sure we translate where we are today to where we want to go? And what are the processes that we need to get there? And it's not process like overbearing, you know, here's your rule book. It's what are the really simple, straightforward things that we want to have on paper? So that like you say, if you have someone that's just going to be working with you a few hours a week. They check out that playbook. They say, okay, I get it. You get all the things out of your head as the business owner. And you can kind of keep pointing people back to that instead of always be pulled back into the weeds and answering questions. Or as many of us do, just say, forget it. I'll just do it myself because it's easier. And then we're just drowning in kind of little tasks that we could have offloaded. Yeah. What you just said, I can't tell you how true that is for me and how true that is for so many people that I knew back when I was consulting. I'll just do it myself. And you are not doing anybody. You're not doing the business. You're not doing yourself. You're not doing your family. You're not doing anybody a service. Like get over yourself. You're (laughs) actually not the person that should be doing it. And if you were organized and could bring people into your world, into the business, you would be better suited. So we need Leah. (laughs) And not all of us can have access to you as a consultant. Like some people are starting out, they're trying to figure out, they're kind of holding on to their pennies and you did a brilliant thing and you wrote a book. So we have access to you through your book as a starter. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that book. 
Yeah. I'll jump to the book. I also have a podcast, Managing Made Simple, where I talk about a lot of the strategies that are in this ops playbook and that I work with on teams. So I'll say that is another another free accessible resource to That's really huge, learn yeah. about. Yeah, because I think it's so true that a lot of these things are around building right from the beginning so that we can scale and grow. So yeah, I just wanted to plug Managing Made Simple yes. because that will give you some things that you can run with right away. But my book, Unstuck, this came together uh, for a number of reasons. I was really, I love writing. I I was writing kind of more like long form, like essay writing posts on Medium about experience of team dynamics, women in the workplace, a lot of the things that I was seeing and, and coaching and mentoring on when I was working in, in the corporate world. And I started a coaching certification and really leaning into some of these things a little bit more deep. And I kept hearing the same kinds of themes coming up again and again, particularly with women. Things like wrestling with comparison and mm. FOMO and talking about our work is bragging and, and difficulty with feedback. And I started to see these patterns. Not only was I experiencing them, every single person I was talking to was running to the same things. And so this is where Unstuck came from. And the book dives into 12 different challenges that show up in the workplace, really for everyone, but specifically to women because of the limiting beliefs and socializations and double standards and all the all the stuff that we are fed and start subscribing to over time and that make it all so much harder. So the book dives into these 12 different challenges and then talks about how to use the power of reframing or looking at them through new perspectives to unlock a new path forward. And I always say reframing is not looking on the bright side. It's not that Pollyannic, right? No. Yeah. It's about saying, hey, this situation sucks. It's frustrating for these reasons. There's all this other, like all these things that make it harder. For example, like negotiating for ourselves. If I asked for too much as a woman, someone might think, who does she think she is? Like these are real things yeah. that happen. And yes, given that, what will I do understanding that context. How else can I approach this? So that's what the book is about. It offers strategies and tools and things to try once we've been able to reframe our limiting beliefs across these dimensions, how we're going to move forward. Yeah. And as somebody who's, I've been listening to it on Audible, and I love, first of all, how you're getting unstuck from all of these 12 things. It's these very sort of concise, focused chapters, and you can kind of move around. Like, given the day or given the week yeah. and what we're challenged with, you can sort of pick and choose. But I want to just say for, you know, you just mentioned the example of somebody asking for a higher salary, right? But I yeah. think what's great about it is it's asking for anything. I think we have yes. problems asking, whether it's pricing ourselves as a consultant, whether it's pricing an offering that we want to offer to our customers, it could be for an event, it could be to price um, a course that we have, whatever it is. And it's not just pricing. It's just asking for anything, asking for yeah. somebody to come alongside us, to collaborate with us, whatever, really understanding yeah. what our value is and reframing that. Exactly. And I love that you said that it's not just a kind of look on the bright side thing, because I think, I think that's really important. You kind of had to get unstuck from your own uh, situation when you were giving a TED Talk. And the TED Talk yeah. was a part of everything that was being built around unstuck, correct? Yeah, exactly. Tell us about that. 
So I had to get unstuck from every single <laughs> chapter in there, I would say. And, you know, with the TEDx talk, actually, this was sort of the culmination of years and years of like extreme fear around public speaking. And I, I really like to, you know, share that with folks that you see someone do a TED talk, you think, yeah, I like, I love public speaking. It's so easy. It's so effortless. As a child, I was performing. It, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, when I entered working in the corporate world, right away being faced with feeling not smart enough, not good enough, all these things immediately snapped into this fear of, of public speaking and of really saying or thinking of asking questions that ended up really having a huge veil on the things that I wanted to do in my job. And I think there was an example of one when I was in one of my first jobs in tech, I mentioned imposter feelings around not being an engineer. So this actually had a huge role in it. I had to give an update like to my team that I worked with every day, but I had to stand up in front of a meeting and I felt myself shaking so much. Like I like almost like dropped the water bottle I was holding. And I'm like, this is my own team I work with. Like I got to yeah. get this in check. And so this started really intentional effort on, I said, I know that I have to get better at this. Goals that I have for myself are gonna require talking to people in a meeting or in a large group. So I set off on really, really working through this. And I think it was seven years later than I did the TEDx talk. So first it was about getting unstuck from this belief of I'm not a good public speaker, I'm not able to do this. And then when I had this goal of delivering this talk, so I would say like four or five years into this journey, I was like, I want, you know, I, this would be awesome to be able to do a TEDx talk. I wrote a talk, I applied, and then three years in a row across different TEDx talks got rejected. And I would get the email like, just like quickly delete it. I don't need to think about it longer than that. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> moving on, moving on. Yeah. And so it was the third year, third year, third rejection. And I was like, you know what? I really want to do this. The book was coming out. I felt like it was the right time. And I said... I have to get some experts involved. I'm going to ask for help. So I found a TEDx coach. I started working with someone. She shared right away that actually it was the positioning that I was using in my application. It really had nothing to do with the talk that, you know, I had all this experience with team operations and in tech, and, and this is really the, what to focus on as opposed to this sort of newer focus of, of doing, you know, coaching and different things like that. So I reframed my whole application, I applied, and I got accepted to a few different venues to do it. And it was like, literally, wow. just the positioning. And this was such a big moment for me to realize, you know, when, when you encounter a failure, a setback, you feel like, should I just give up? It's an opportunity to ask yourself, you know, how can I change my approach? Because when I change my approach, I change the outcome. And, and then I thought about, well, where else have I applied that? And it's actually the same thing I did when I wrote my book. I pitched it to agents. I didn't get anywhere. And I, I changed the framing of it. I changed the proposal. And then I found a publisher. Same thing when I applied to roles in tech. You know, and it was like, wait a second. <laughs> like, change your approach and you'll change your outcome. This is a life lesson that is so important to remind ourselves of. Absolutely. In everything. I mean, yeah. as you're talking, I'm like, okay, raising children. Yeah, yeah. that applies. <laughs> in your marriage. Yep, that applies. In your yeah. friendships. Like it applies in our personal life. I was getting this image as you were talking, somebody coming into the ER, right? And the doctor's getting a call like, this is what we're bringing in. And then they see what's in front of them. And they're like, no, we have to shift gears. We have to reframe 
what we were going to do to get this person to optimal health or to heal. We have to change the way we're doing this. And I think if we think about it, to use your own words, not just in a like, just be more optimistic (laughs) on the brighter side, but to really attack it from a different point of view, then our mind shift can change. It's almost like we have to look at what's in front of us before. And you had, you know, with a coach coming alongside you, somebody who could really objectively say, the talk's fine. That's not the problem. It's communicating what your offering is. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, and I love your example of someone coming into a hospital and because it's like, it doesn't mean you're wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, hey, what are we observing here? What does the situation require? What what do we want to fine tune? Now that we have more information, what do we want to change? So it's so important. And, and I love that framing because I think that's where we can get stuck is, oh, here we go again. I never get picked. I never do anything right. I'm a loser. I get rejected. And, and I think especially when we have had those over years and we're trying to make a change mid-career or later, like it starts to really make things scary. Yeah. And so I think remembering that we are just reassessing based on the information we have. This is not a self-worth situation. This is like, what does the situation call for? As you're saying all of this, it's sort of dawning on me that, and I'm older than you, but that some of this has been socialized. Like there's something about just being gritty, getting up and doing it again and doing it again and doing it again. We haven't gotten the message that doing it again, but differently. Yeah, I think the message that we grew up with is just pick yourself up and try again. And we haven't gotten that other piece of the message. And I think that's what's so brilliant about your book and the work that you're doing is that you're giving us the tools to actually do that unsticking ourselves. Yeah. I love that piece. I mean, I think you're so right is we talk about, like you said, grit. We talk about growth mindset, you know, just keep going. And and I think this is something that is really incomplete about all the advice that's given to women is like, hey, here, follow these things. And then we find I did this stuff and it didn't go that well for me trying to like ask for a raise and promotion. When I did exactly the steps that someone told me, I was told by a manager, oh, you don't know how this works, like, or keep waiting, right? I've heard, I'm like, well, how come I follow the advice to the letter? But like you say, I think the advice is incomplete. Mm. And one thing I was just thinking about, I was just thinking about yesterday, I was working on a workshop around feedback. And there's, you know, a feedback framework that I really like, the situation behavior impact, where you talk about situation in the meeting, behavior, you interrupted Sarah, and the impact was it prevented her from sharing her idea. So I like this framework, but I felt like it was incomplete because it doesn't say, and so next time, boom, yeah. right? Like you're saying, and there's there's a step of personal accountability when we're thinking about changing behavior that we wanna be committing to what we'll do differently. And I think if we're able to say, okay, and so because of all this, here's what I will do. Now we're actually changing the course of action. And it's not about getting stuck in the past or all like, why did I do that? You know, shame spiral of rumination, which I'm very familiar with. (laughs) But it's like, if we could say, nope, okay, what do I do from here forward? And then you keep looking forward. I think you can get out of that stuck feeling. Yeah, this book is for everybody. I just want people who are listening We're talking about Leah's background. We're talking about entrepreneurship. But I just want to say so many nuggets in the book are for 
just living your life. And I want people to, I mean, listening to your podcast will give them a, a little bit of that, but the book is, the way it's organized is brilliant. And I think this is something you want to get your hands on. You're one of our experts. I love, you know, we started this new expert series where we're bringing people on and you've already given us so much, but I want to dig in a little bit more. Our listeners, as you know, because we've talked about who our listeners are, that I love so much. I love these women who are 40 plus, who were really thinking about what's next. Many of them, given their experience, their time on this earth, have already done something. And maybe they want to walk away from that thing. Maybe they're in a time in life when they can try something new. It could be leaving a job. It could be starting something um, from scratch for the first time, writing a book like you did, um, starting a business, whatever it is. I think the idea of that sounds enticing to them. Like, yeah, I'm going to make this shift. This is a time in my life. But then there's this other piece that's like, well, I've had a gap, a gap in experience. Maybe they stayed at home and that was their focus. What do you say to these women who have had a gap? Again, it could be in the job that they left behind and they want to return to, it could be just the gap is this is brand new information. This is a brand new role or world that I'm stepping into. Yeah. I love the question. And what I often say, I guess there's, there's two pieces. First is we're rarely bringing in no transferable skills or nothing. I think we're rarely starting something fully, fully new. And I think the mistake a lot of us make or the belief we subscribe to, I should say, um, not a mistake, it's, it's, the, it's the belief because of all the other stuff going on, is I'm starting fresh, therefore I need to go back to school, I need to have all this experience before I can even get started. And I think the reframe on that is to look across all of the experiences that you've had in your whole life, your whole professional career, and start pulling through the nuggets that will make you successful in this next thing, or have given you lessons that have informed this next thing, or have created a passion around this thing, right? With building a business, it's often we're building the business that we wish we had benefited Mm -hmm. from, right? Mm -hmm. We're like the customer we would have had. And I think... This is something that we often forget about because we see everybody else doing, you know, hey, well, this person has all this credential and all this PR and all these great clients. And we think, well, I'll never be that. So, I, I, you know, I'm just starting over. And especially when I'm coaching folks around doing a career pivot at any age, I say, let's look at the whole, you know, don't show your resume that has like the highlight reel. Talk me through the whole story. And what I always hear is so much stuff that's been left out of the LinkedIn profile, been left out of that, hmm. you know, founder story that actually really informs it. So I was just talking to someone this week who he's an attorney and he wants to potentially get into life coaching. And he's like, yeah, I just don't know if I see, you know, the connection. And then he's like, but actually most of the work that I was doing was really coaching people around how they wanted to approach this tough situation. I'm like, yeah, like literally, exactly. That's all related. And so I think it's really exciting. I think this is an exercise we can do for ourselves, which is like, I'm going to like do my own like life journey time, like write it on a piece of paper and say, what were the wins? What were the learnings? What were, what were moments when I was really felt like I was in flow? Maybe it was, 
you know, volunteering in your kid's school and you said, hey, I was able to bring together all these people that weren't really talking to each other and figure out how to bring together, you know, these different personalities and, and build relationships here. Okay, so that's a huge, huge skill for the next thing you want to do. Um, maybe you were like the go-to person around figuring out all the technology in a complicated situation. Whatever it is, it all has value. So I think when we are starting something new or making a change, it's to actually like shed the whole thing of this is new and say, it's an evolution. What do I have I can bring to the table here? And then I think that I said there was two parts. So I think it's like shedding that it's not new and then really sort of excavating through that journey for those transferable skills. Because it's very unlikely you're going to want to pursue something when it has no relationship to anything in the past. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is that relationship? And then how can I lean into that? And this is where I said, I know at the start of our conversation, working in like program management, team operations, that felt very behind the scenes, invisible, often undervalued. I'll just call it it's like, that's why I made a change. And at first, I, I was like, I want to have nothing to do with that kind of work. I want to do workshops and programs. And I want to do all this more like sort of front facing things. And then I was like, well, people kept asking me for support on team operations. And well, how do people get work done in a small company? You know, what, how do I wrestle with these different issues? And I was like, all right, fine. Like, I know all about this. And it was like, <laughs> reluctantly, but now I'm like, oh my God, this is my superpower. I should really do this. I should lean into it and actually see that now that I'm being asked to do this and sought out for this, this is a reframe on the skill that I kind of downplayed for the first few months as an entrepreneur. And yeah, I work with people. And after we talk about these six dimensions, I write up the whole ops playbook. That's a deliverable. I have been churning those out for the last 10 years. <laughs> like I know how to do that very effectively. And I'm like, instead of pretending that it doesn't like a who cares, it's like, this is a, this is a real thing that I can add value for people. Absolutely. Okay. What are the six dimensions? You can't just throw that out and not tell us what they are. <laughs> I know, just you six, check it out later. The six dimensions of an effective team, as I've observed it to be, is having a clear onboarding process so that when you hire new people, even contractors, even vendors, even someone working with you for a few weeks, what does it look like? How do they find out what they need to work on? Are there any sort of like systems they need to access, whatever like that? Then how do you set priorities? And that's often framed on, well, what are your key values as a company, as a team? You know, do you have an overarching goal, like double the revenue growth or whatever? But that's often tied to one or three key priorities. Then we talk about well, how do you set expectations? And this one for a business owner is a lot of times aren't, well, how do I want to be perceived? How do I show up as a leader? And then how do I make sure that's clear? And then it also covers what are some of the basics, like work hours, how do we communicate? What does success look like in you know finishing something? So we talk about all that. Then how do we make decisions? And again, as a business owner, you know, what is your process for making decisions? Where do you want your team members to make decisions versus, you know, where you make them? For places where your team members make the decisions, how do you want them to communicate that or loop you in so that you're not like, wait a second, this is what we're doing now? Like nobody was yeah. gonna mention it? So that's where we talk about how we wanna track work. So whether it is, you know, just saying, hey, here's the priorities, here's the expectations, run with it. Or if you have some kind of task tracking system, 
whatever that looks like and how we make sure people are bought in. It's easy to use. It's understandable. And then last is like performance and career. So again, even if you have someone that is working for you part-time or temporarily, them knowing here is how I, you know, evaluate success. Here is when I would look at, you know, adjusting the rate, paying more or giving a bonus, or, you know, if someone is going to be a long-term employee, giving a promotion or a raise, then that's going to be a really important conversation. And onboarding, expectation setting, and career, those three pieces have to be completely in lockstep. And this is something that folks, I think we can miss, and definitely in the corporate world, we miss that we set all these expectations and then we reward people on something totally different. <laughs> it's like, hey, be a collaborator, help other people, care about diversity and inclusion, but you're only rewarded on how fast you code and how many sales you make. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I guess I don't really got to care about other things. So you have to connect those dots. So those are the six dimensions. And I sit down with a business owner and we talk about all those things. I capture a bunch of notes and then I write up your team operations playbook that dives into each of these areas so that we can then implement it with your team. My gosh, that's brilliant. I just, there's so many things I learned right there that I am not doing that I should be doing. (laughs) The other thing you said that I thought was really interesting is as you were talking about skill sets and stories, I was like, yeah, skills and stories are often what we don't think about when we think about what we have to offer, we often lean on the resume. We yeah. often lean on the, this was my role. This was my title. This this was how long I was there. And even if, you know, you come from an entrepreneurial background or you've been freelancing, you still sort of think about it in that way. If you were applying for a job, if you were building a LinkedIn yeah. profile, that's how you would approach it. And I think the storytelling and the skills that gives us so much freedom, but it's also so much more interesting for the person who's going to read that to yes. decide if they want to hire you, if they want to work with you, if they want to collaborate with you. Yeah. So I love that. I love that reframe. That's yeah. awesome. What do you want to say to the woman who, because I think this idea of starting something new and approaching it from a skills and stories perspective gives us a lot of freedom. But then there's people who've like, ah, I, you know what, I've done that. And to use a term that you've been using and your book is all about, but I'm still feeling stuck. I know that I need a change, but I need to figure out where to begin. I feel like maybe I've, I'm leaving behind a series of bad starts or a series Mm. of things that haven't necessarily gone well maybe just even in my head, maybe I haven't even started something. It's just in my head, I can't get unstuck. Yeah. What do you want to say to those women about how to do that? Are there prompts? Is there a process that you sort of offer people to rethink whatever it is they want to get unstuck from? Yeah. I mean, I think one tool that can be very useful is to find a coach or mentor. I think a lot of times when we're feeling stuck, it's because we are in our own story, in our own narrative. You know, that's what a coach can help you get away from is, you know, I've done this before, it never works in this narrative of, you know, limiting belief party. And I share that because I think we might think, well, I can't hire that until I have this figured out. But it's actually like, that might be the catalyst you need to be able to figure that out. So I would say, first thing would be, can you enlist support from someone? It may be someone you meet with one time. It might be, you know, just a trusted friend where you say, hey, can we have a really open conversation to, to wrestle with this? 
Um, I think when we find ourselves in a stuck place, sometimes we don't even know that we're stuck. And so a few of the tells that I notice are when we're using all or nothing thinking, like we're saying, I always this, or it never works out, or it's never going to happen. I mean, that's just a signal to tune into, you know, oh, okay, I'm stuck. I actually want to get a hold of this. And the more we're listening to the way that we're talking to ourselves, the questions we're asking ourselves, the more we can stop that default negative thinking spiral and actually change the course of it. So listening to the, the way we talk to ourselves, that's the second thing. Related to that is the kind of questions we're asking ourselves. And I think when we're in this stuck place, a lot of the questions are, why isn't this working? Why did this happen? Why did she get it and not me? Why am I never picked? Why? And it's all variations of why me? And why is always answered with a defense. If someone ever asks you, why did you do that or why that happened? It, it, it requires a defensive <laughs> response. So yeah. if we if we're asking ourselves that, we're going to respond with rationales. I'm not going to say excuses. Rationales, reasoning, and defenses. So if we say, oh, there I am in that why thinking, and we shift the questions to what, we can start to get out from under that. So instead of why did she say that, we can say what might be going on in her world that I'm not aware of. If we say, why didn't I get picked? What else is happening in this company? You know, so like if I applied for a job and I didn't get selected, it's like, why does it never happen for me? It's like, well, what else might be happening? That there was other greatly qualified candidates and they had to make a decision and I was number two and that's okay. You know what I mean? So we can pull ourselves out. So I think when we're feeling stuck, we have to create a like a baseline that we can take action from. And it's really hard to do that when we're in that absolute thinking or we're asking these why questions. And then once we have that baseline, I think it's important to tune into, well, what are some of the things that are important to me? What are the values that I have? Um, a lot of times, you know, especially you mentioned if we have had some stops and starts or if we've been really successful, but we're unhappy. I mean, it's really, really hard to leave a, you know, high paying corporate job to start something on your own. And, you know, Google, which I left to become an entrepreneur, I had a lot of things I liked about it. I liked what I was doing. I had a great network. It was a great salary. And so I had to make some hard choices to pursue this. And in doing that, I had to think about, well, what are the things that I really want for my life in a bigger sense? And one thing was to be able to do the kind of work that I love to do all the time. So I loved doing coaching and mentorship and workshops. This actually wasn't even my day job. <laughs> like I was actually supposed to be, like mainly I worked as a team operations manager around how like a product gets sent, like managed start to end. So I wove these skills into my job, but it was never going to feel complete unless mm. this was what I wanted to do fully. So I said, okay, well, there's a passion thing there. There was a, I want to have a limitless potential. I don't want to have expectations that often are not met in working in a corporate world, frankly. You know, I think I wanted more flexibility, which any entrepreneur knows, like you have way less of once you're <laughs> starting a business. So not yet sure. there. So I'd lean in, well, what are the things? And the biggest thing I think, which is actually a message in, in my TEDx talk is thinking about separating the drivers to making that decision from the outcomes. 
Like we have no control over the outcome. Working as an entrepreneur, I can't say like, if I do this, this, and this, I will achieve this and that, right? I'm a Enneagram three, which I've learned, you know, is all about achievement. I, I wish that was the case. <laughs> you too? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, I put in the work, it should result. So we found that that's not always the case, but I know that I can satisfy the drivers for the decision. And when I was gonna leave the corporate world, I said, well, the things that are driving the decision are what I just described. Wanting to work on the kind of things that I do, wanting to see, do I like having my own business? Do I like this work? Now I've already achieved all those things in this first year doing it, whether or not the business side, some of the outcomes materialize. And if we start setting goals around the drivers, I think we can find, we build a lot more resilience and momentum because it's not about, you know, have I checked this box yet or having a timeline that, you know, yeah, like COVID happens, economies tanks, like there's a lot of stuff that makes it pretty tough. So much out of our control. And then when you're, when all your goals are based on things that are out of control, it can feel really like disillusioning. Yeah. I had this sort of epiphany very recently. And I think I talked about it on the podcast or Maybe it was on social media, but it was kind of what you were just saying or one of the things you were just saying. And it's the idea of getting clarity around what it is that you do want and not having the outcome of, for in my case, it was financial outcome. That's what I thought success was going to be. And it was uh, in talking to a coach. She was a guest on the show and she had offered to spend some time doing, giving me the gift of one of her sessions so that I could know how she worked and share that with our audience. And I sort of was like, okay, I'll, sure, right. <laughs> I'll learn about her process. The thing that blew my mind was as we were talking and as I was sharing, her question was kind of, what is it that you want to do? Where do you want to be? I think in five years. And then she had said, you're already there. You are already doing the things you want to be doing. So what's the gap? Why don't you feel the success? And I said, oh, I match the success with how much money, how many people. She said, oh, so this is just an issue of volume. This is just mm. turning up the volume. And I was like, my mind was blown, right? Yeah. And I realized that for me, the unstuck thing was, okay, I'm assigning success not necessarily to the wrong thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting more people to get our message, to listen to our podcast, to yeah. engage with us, or to want to make more money from the work that we're doing. But I think it was just assigning it, putting it in the right bucket, understanding that what I'm doing is the thing that I want to be doing. And it's just turning up the volume. And it, it was a complete shift for me. And it reminds me of what you're saying right now. Yeah, exactly. I love that so much. And I, I think this extrinsic success-based thing is something we're kind of programmed with society-wise, like in a capitalistic society. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you didn't get that from nowhere, but it, like you say, you can start to discredit your own success and not celebrate it and not value it because it doesn't line up with this thing that you actually have achieved. So yes, I love that for me too, because it's been very similar. And I think what started to shift that awareness for me was um, I was in a very more is better rat race, which I'm sure you operated in yeah. for much of your career. And I thought to myself, it was in the first six months or so as an entrepreneur. And I was just like, I need to make more stuff. I need more stuff. And then I was like, well, 
did more is better serve me at any point? Literally? Mm. No, it didn't. It didn't serve me in the corporate world because when I would just do more and more work, I didn't get paid more for that. And like, no, like you don't just like, you don't have overtime. You just, you literally just start creating a higher expectation of your baseline where if you ever don't want to work at night or, you know, on, on the weekends, people are like, hey, like, where's that extra stuff that you always do? So I actually had created an unsustainable workload that at no point was really serving me, but it was all because I just believed at some point more is better has to work out for me. And it was in subtracting and focusing and really reminding myself exactly what you said, which is, hey, what were the reasons I was doing this? Oh, wait a second, I've already achieved these things and I'm happy and I feel so connected to the work and I'm adding, you know, so much value for the people I'm working with. Like, simmer down, like we we got this. Yeah, I like this concept of subtracting and I'd love for you to sort of expand on it a little bit because I think as people are making those changes, those shifts, we wanna make sure, we wanna help them to not make it into another more life zapping situation, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm going to exchange this boyfriend for the next boyfriend. And all you've done is exchange like one nightmare situation and circumstances for another. And so talk about subtraction and kind of what this concept is. Yeah. One of the ways that I started being able to see like the need for focus was getting involved in a women's entrepreneurship community. And so I think sometimes having a community and whether it's through connecting with folks through like this podcast listeners, you know, whatever you have, you can create community around is really powerful to start to see, you know, getting feedback on what focus might look like. Now a community can also trigger all sorts of FOMO. So like you also want to really manage that. So I think the community helps create um, people that are know what you're doing and can amplify it. But the way that I started to focus was, again, working with a business coach who really had me check in with, you know, what activities feel aligned. Mm-hmm. When I think about posting on social media or writing a newsletter or a blog or a podcast, which things am I like, oh, I love that. And which am I like, oh, God, <laughs> like, no, I can't do it. Where am I finding energy? And when it's something I don't want to do, is it out of fear? Is it out of a skill gap? Is it out of boredom? Or is it like, yeah, it's just not me. Because I think when we start to subtract from the things that don't feel aligned, those are the things that are going to take so much longer. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that are going to, you know, for one person posting on stories or doing a podcast, that might take them 10 minutes, an hour. If it takes you all day to write an email newsletter, it's like, that's not the thing. So, you know, I thought, oh, should I make a digital course? Should I, it's like, should I is probably another question to actually say, oh, yeah. there is me and then more is better space and say, like, what are the activities that I do that are most aligned where I feel most in flow and I feel most authentic and looking at those. And if none of those like are really income producing streams or you feel like I don't see how to monetize this then it can be really helpful to get a business coach and kind of talk about that. Well, like, hey, what's here? And maybe there's a little bit of ways to fine tune some of those things to to actually create something in a business. And like we've already talked about, it's like, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean someone out there can't help you with that. So mm-hmm. I think that's where if you're feeling stuck and you say, well, I'm interested in this one thing and there's like zero ways to turn it into something 
I would challenge that because there's some like really out there businesses <laughs> doing really yes, niche are. things. And yes, actually that are. super niche stuff is, is often the most profitable and lucrative because people think, oh my God, that person has that same thing that I have or problem or need or interest. Oh, I love that. So when, when you can get someone's head, it's actually, it often works out really well. Yes. Just to everything that you just said, I think having somebody come in and objectively look at whatever you're doing and offer support and offer a different way of holding it to the light and saying, oh, just turn it a little bit this way. Like, here's the solution. Um, And I think probably your podcast is a great place for people to start for some of that. Some of that objectivity can come just from listening to somebody else. I'm always mindful that some of the people who are listening don't have access to like, okay, I'm going to go bring a coach in. I loved your earlier comment of, you know, find a one-off time with a friend just to pour all that. Sometimes hearing ourselves say those things out loud starts to crystallize. Like, what did I just say? That's not what I want. This is actually what I want. Yeah, exactly. I have to ask you, because I think probably from your corporate work and from your consulting work, you've seen this a lot, but I think, and I've said a million times on this show that this middle time, the 40s, 50s, and 60s is what we're calling this second of three components of life yeah, is a great time to be starting something new. You have more connections. You have amassed more information, experience. Um, but what I actually hear is a lot of people, and, and you know yourself better too, but I, what I actually hear is people thinking that starting something new is really for the 20 and 30-year-old. And maybe if you're in your 40s, but surely by 50 and 60, like, what are you doing? And some people just, they can't even, they don't even remember those hopes or those dreams that mm. they had for themselves. They're kind of buried so deeply. And they have this sense that life has perhaps passed them by. They missed their chance. What do you want to say to those women, given the experience that you've had, the conversations that you've been a part of, again, corporate and as a consultant, about this particular stage and and what they can bring to the table? I love this. I mean, I think it's so true. I've seen it. I've felt it. And, you know, working in tech adjacent, you see a lot of that even like, oh, I'm not, I can be a founder. I'm not 20, but it's like, well, I think a lot of the mistakes that are, that are being made right now, especially in technology is because they're made by a lot of people that don't have a ton of experience. And I think this is something that I think holistically, we need to have a lot more appreciation about. But I mean, my mom went back to get her PhD at 60 and then became a professor and she's 72 going strong. Like, I mean, I think it sounds cliche. And so, you know, saying it's never too late, but I would say it's, it's really about looking across what are those experiences and skills and those things from my story that I want to weave together and make something from. That's the way that we can reinvigorate that confidence that, hey, I have a lot to offer here. I have a lot to put together. And we're seeing patterns of a lot more awareness of you know, purpose and and values and things in the workplace from Gen Z, I think there's a real opportunity to have Gen X and, and boomers really becoming like bi-directional mentorship and coaching and sort of learning from different generations, especially if Gen Z is entering the workforce, maybe never were in offices with people, like there's no feedback, yeah. like we're going to have to figure a lot of that out. So I think 
starting with some self-exploration, looking at, you know, what are the things that really are important to me matter? What are some of the gaps that I'm seeing? Because if you're seeing a gap, other people are too. And one more resource, you know, not, not resource tip that's free is to journal. I think this is something that, I wasn't a skeptic, but I was like very difficult to get on a journaling habit. <laughs> and and I found, and I'm not on a steadily on one now, I'm not going to lie, but like I have tried it for about two or three months. And the kind of stuff when you regularly write, like I'm going to co- commit to writing two pages in a journal in the mornings. When you get past the updates, you start to ask, what do I want to be doing? Where am I feeling mm-hmm. stuck? And you just draw these questions out. These are things that you, you can pay a lot of money for a coach to ask you, or yeah. you can literally write it down. I think journaling on some of the things that we're feeling stuck around or feeling like we can't, even writing lists like, here's 10 things I think I can't do, start a new career, start a business, become a CEO, whatever, and then literally challenge yourself saying, what are five reasons that's not true? Hmm. And literally like kind of just do some self-coaching to find that. I think you'll find, wait a second, all the reasons are beliefs that I have a lot of it might've come from shitty feedback that people gave you or people have said, and I'm not gonna diminish that. But you can say, okay, what else do I know? What are other examples? What are other ways I can approach this? So whenever you kind of run into a roadblock, literally saying, what else? And pushing yourself to explore other perspectives. I love that. We've been doing these journal prompts weekly on social media, just offering them up. But I love this idea of almost forcing yourself or giving yourself the opportunity is a better way to say that to come up with the reasons why or why not. Like, yeah, don't just say I can't, but why can't you? I love this. Write five reasons why you can't do that thing or why you can do that thing. Like to talk yourself in or out of whatever. That's a great tip. I love that. Okay. I want to ask you, because again, Leah, we've talked about who our audience is. And I think Some of it is unstuck. Some of it is not wanting to invite chaos in their life. It's sort of like, oh, I've already done that. I don't want to start something new because it's going to be crazy. Mm. And some of it's just confidence. Some of this is an issue of confidence. How do we find the confidence to start something new, especially if for some of us, maybe we left whatever behind because we felt like it didn't satisfy us. Maybe it felt like it failed. One way is to listen to other people's stories about their journeys. You know, hopefully me sharing the journey with the TEDx talk and public speaking shows that if you see the end result, you see the person, you know, at the other side, it seems like, well, yeah, they were so confident, of course, but I could never do that. And the more we get insight into people's stories and journeys, which is why, you know, I, I love this podcast because you talk about that all, you know, all the time is that we see okay, it's okay if I don't have the confidence today. It's okay Mm. if I'm scared. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is exposure therapy to building resilience against rejection and failures and saying, if I'm not failing, then I'm not trying instead of if I'm failing, I'm a loser basically. (laughs) And so really saying like, I am going to seek out failure and I'm just gonna say screw it and take risks. So like Mm. I do a lot of, 
you know, pitching things to the media, to different things. And a lot of times you don't hear anything, but sometimes you do. And before you pitched, you already had a no or nobody knows you are. So like sort of saying, how can I make this a little bit maybe of a game or something that like, you know, I'm just gonna put a lot out there and not spamming people, but saying, you know, here's some goals that I have. What are a few risks that I can take with it? And there's a book that I love called The Confidence Gap by I think Russ Harris, which reminds us that confident actions come before confident thoughts. Mm. There's literally no way that we're going to just wake up feeling confident about something. Like you, you have to have tried, you have to have seen it. So instead of, you know, I know it might take some, you know, journaling and, and rethinking those beliefs around, well, what if it's embarrassing or what if I'm rejected? Like, that's a lot of inner work that I think all of us do around feeling what is the cost of a failure and having to let go of some of that. But I know for me, as we talked about Enneagram 3 achievement and, you know, making sure that like everything's perfect and polished, that was a big thing for me. And so it chipped away at my confidence if I would get a no, because I said, well, this means, of course, I, I messed up, I screwed up, now they think less of me. I, I went through all those things. <laughs> so I think the confidence comes from watching yourself keep going. For me, it hasn't always come from yeses. It started to come from trying and continuing to put myself out there. I mentioned with Fear of Public Speaking, I've done um, now a few live TV interviews where I go into the studio, which is like, that's even scarier than a TED Talk because <laughs> you're just like literally sitting there. And I do those because it scares the shit out of me. Yeah, That is the main reason I do it because it sort of reminds me okay, I can do something I can like volunteer for and seek out things that scare me. And that has really started to help. So I think making a list of like, what are a few things that scare you? And what are maybe like a step towards doing it? And the more you see that you're like, okay, <laughs> this is kind of a thrill. This is fun. And so that those are a few things that I would say that can help start to inf infuse some of that confidence. I love this direct approach of that, like actually staring it in the face and doing it anyway. And the reality is like, we've seen the memes and we've seen the like poster with the eagle and all of it talking about <laughs> fear. And it is it is a companion. There's so many yes. things that have been said about that. And it's how do we deal with that companion? It's protecting us. It's there for a reason, but then we need to know how to talk to it and put it in its place. Nobody is going at it without fear. Exactly. Whatever it is. Yeah. One thing I'll add, and, and I think you mentioned this too, is, you know, sometimes it's not the right moment to quit our jobs and, and get into a very financial unstable place. Mm -hmm. So I do want to make sure to make that clear. Like it requires potentially having a second income in your household, having a loan. There's, there's a lot of risk associated. So I think there are also ways to lean into your passions, build up something, you know, not even as a side hustle, but really looking like, ooh, do I have an interest around here? Yeah. Maybe it's something you work on in the evenings or on the weekends or becomes more of a side hustle while you explore. Because I think a lot of us, you know, we didn't just say like, okay, like, you know, Jerry Maguire, like I'm out of here, <laughs> who's coming with me? Yeah. And then start something overnight. And so I, I just want to make sure to acknowledge that it's a very difficult choice. Maybe you're the breadwinner in your household and that's just not feasible. So it's like, there still are a lot of ways you can fuel these passions and explore things before you make a full commitment to, to making a change. Thanks for saying that. I think we want to make sure that we're emboldening our listener with good advice, right? Yeah. And and wise advice. So thank you for that caution. Now, before we let you go, <laughs> I have to ask you, how has 
gosh, all the things that you're doing, writing Unstuck, becoming a consultant, being a podcast host of Managing Made Simple. How have all of these things that you've done liberated you, Leah, the woman? I mean, a thousand percent. I think I didn't realize how kind of stuck that I was Mm -hmm. until I stopped doing it. And it really came from you know, being a high achiever corporate, I felt like I like big companies. I know the rules. I like this. And I thought when I left, it would be a really hard transition. I thought, oh God, I'm gonna be isolated. I'm gonna be so worried about money and, and what's next. And I've literally never been happier. And the the fact that I have not looked back once, this is that liberated feeling. This mm-hmm. is showing, oh, yeah, it was something I should have done a while ago, right? And so being able to really manage my time, not like, I know I said, we said we're very busy. <laughs> like manage, like, how do I want to be spending my time? What are the kinds of things that I want to take on? I have agency for who I work with. I have agency for, you know, hey, I want to start a podcast. I don't have some manager saying like, well, maybe <laughs> not yet. Yeah, I can make decisions with, you know, really based on my interest and what feels aligned. And, and so I think, the signal of how liberated I felt was from how instantly I felt like, wow, yes, this is exactly what I'm going to be doing. I felt like that, you know, tuning into that driver decision. Yes, mission accomplished. I know that I like this and I'm ready to go. So that's really been what it is for me. Well, I'm glad that that work has been liberating for you because I think it's liberating. I know it's liberating so many other people from the podcast to the book, to the work you're doing as a consultant. Thank you for stepping into that space so that we can receive the gift of Leah coming into her fullness. And I I think it's a, a great example for a lot of us. How do we do that? How do we step into that? So I appreciate you being an example for that, Leah. Thank you so much for spending this, this hour with us. Yeah, thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. And I love meeting a fellow Enneagram 3. Yeah, <laughs> figuring yes. it out. So much fun. There's a few of us and we all need each other. We yeah. all need each other. <laughs> um, and Liberty listeners, thank you guys for spending this hour with me and with Leah. And we'll make sure to have in the show notes all the different ways that you can access Leah and her great work and her book and her podcast and everything. So check out the show notes for that. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye for now. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcast and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to move into your middle third with intention. Liberty Road is created by executive producer Netta Jones, supervising producer Elizabeth Windham, producer Julia Windham, and music by Jack Jones. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Flimsy stands slowing you down? Well, it's time to upgrade. Armadillo builds durable, North American-made tablet stands and kiosks. We're so confident, we offer a lifetime warranty. So, elevate your business and visit armadillo.com. That's A-R-M-O-D-I-L-O.com and use code ACAST for 5% off. Armadillo, built to last, designed to impress.